The sun is shining in Las Vegas, Nevada. Hello again, everybody. This is Harry Carey. That's the most asinine marketing I've ever heard of. Live. Ryan sends one a deep left way back. It is gone. A three-run homer. In the entertainment capital of the world. Didn't matter what the count was. It's the T.C. Martin Show. to get your daily prescription from the doctor. Oh, my goodness. That's the longest home run to center field we have seen in this ballpark. T.C. Martin. Way back in my feet. It could be. Cobweb. 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 Holy cow. Look at the left fielder. He has the ball there. He has that one. And here comes the cubs out on the field. is now in. Happy Monday to you. Hopefully everyone had a great weekend. Recharge, ready to go. Great weekend from a sports perspective, whether it was baseball, UFC action, NBA, great weekend. And a busy, busy week on tap. For all of us coming up this week, NFL Draft coming up Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. Got plenty of draft coverage for you with that. And also, Derby Day, the first Saturday in May. What does that mean? Yes, the Kentucky Derby is back. We'll hit that this week as well, too. We'll be at the Cosmopolitan in Las Vegas on Friday with our Derby preview show. And also talking a lot of NFL Draft and everything else that's uh, going on. T.C. Martin, Ballpark Frank. In the house here on this Monday. And how was your weekend, my friend? Uh, my weekend was fun. Watched the UFC. Uh, watched the uh, Golden Knights once again beat a AHL team in the Anaheim Ducks, who uh, just absolutely throttled them once again. And yeah, the Derby, not only the first Saturday in May, the first day in May this year because of the way that things uh, right. unfold. And kind of strange, too, because uh, you'll be able to watch and bet the Derby, but not the other races there at Churchill. So it's. Uh, Kind of a weird situation, but those are all things that are way beyond my pay scale or anything. So, uh, you know, but uh, uh, I'm curious to see who runs in the Derby. They say they're down to like 20 horses right now because some have dropped out of it. And uh, now they're just hoping that uh, all the uh, potential entries actually stay in the race and enter now because we could have less than a 20-horse field this year. Which would be great. I, I don't like the the 16 to 20 horses in a field. I mean, it's too... Too compact. Too I like them more than Have yeah. them all. Well, that's because you you know you like you like uh, you know you like the drama. You like the wrecks. I like you know, chaos. You, you, you like, I chaos. like chaos. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> I want to see them come out of the gate and see a big pile up right out of there and horses mm-hmm. jockeying around and smashing into each other. And by the way, you know, there's only one post position that's never won the Derby. And which uh, post is that? Seventeen. Seventeen. There you go. Seventeen has never won the Derby. Well, Steve Every De- other post. Steve DeBerg didn't do much either, did he? You know, he was he was a seventeen. <laughs> Made more than I did. <laughs> I think you should change your initials to TC. You know, total chaos. That's what you like. Total chaos. I like chaos. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Ca- are you Captain Chaos? Then? When, when I watch Get Smart, I, I root for chaos sometimes. <laughs> I didn't have a shoe phone. <laughs> that was chaos with a K, though, right? I think, they, I think it was. They yeah. had a, they had yeah. a big K yeah. exactly. So. What about Captain Chaos? Does that one ring a bell to you? Uh, sounds familiar. Was yeah. it cartoon? Close. Well, it was a movie. Okay. Yeah. Dom DeLuise was Captain Chaos. Oh, I do remember him now. <laughs> there you go. Was Burt Reynolds in that? Correct. Was yeah, Burt Reynolds, Burt Reynolds and him were, yeah. yeah. They, they, they used Captain to a, Chaos! Yeah. Had like a blue hood and a cape and everything. Yeah. And, yeah. Well, yeah. Ma- yeah. I say hood. I mean I mask there, and stuff. I don't know if there was a K or a C on that cape, but there was a I cape. I don't remember. Yeah. 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 Extra points if you can remember the movie. Um, was it, uh, I think you're going to get, I got faith in you. It was, it, um, it's one of those car race things where they went across the, uh, gumball express. It wasn't the gumball, gumball rally. It was not gumball rally. Cannonball run. Cannonball run. Yeah. There you go. Damn it. I could picture it. I could see it. I was trying to do all the other things. Was that the one where the, uh, the, the, the Japanese car, they were watching pornos in the car when they were driving around? (laughs) Of course they would come back to that. There it is. Exactly. It was like Jackie Chan or somebody yeah. like that. In there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was kind of a kind of a strange movie. 
Yeah, you don't, you don't get the Based ra- on reality, though, because apparently those races really did used to take place. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. That was, a, that was fun. That was probably a little bit more realistic than Smoking the Bandit. Probably. <laughs> and, boy, Smoking the Bandit, talk about movies. Because they were running the marathon of all three of them this mm-hmm. week. They didn't need to make two and three. Oh, really? You, they were, there was a marathon. Yeah, going yeah. this weekend. You yeah, yeah, watch yeah. that. Wow. No, I saw it when I when I I'm a guy, so I channel surf and I always see what's coming on, and it's like, oh, they're smoking the bandit, then smoking the bandit <laughs> two, and then smoking the bandit three. Yeah. They didn't need to remake it after the first. I mean, I understand strike while the iron's hot. Try to make some extra money and that kind of stuff. There was no need for two and three. Would you rather see Blues Brothers two thousand or Smoking the Bandit two? Um, it doesn't matter which one's shorter. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Probably Smoking the Bandit two. <laughs> The Smoke in the Bandit. Smoke in the Bandit 2 was where they were transporting the elephant across the country. That's, that was the one, And yeah. then the third one was yeah. like some a shark in a tank or something. I mean, the other two were just like, the first one was good. It was clever. It was, and it was enough. You know? Didn't Jackie Gleason come back for, I think, He was three? in all three of them, yeah. yes. Oh, yeah, he was in all three. I mean, it, it was enough. And Jerry Reed, Cletus, who was the actual truck driver in yeah. that, you know. He was, he well, yeah, he, he was the truck driver. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, but no, yeah, they didn't need to make the other ones. Sometimes less is more. Was Jim Neighbors in that one, too? Jim Neighbors was like in so many Burt Reynolds movies. I don't remember him being in the Smoke in the Bandit movies. I don't remember him being in the Smoke in the Bandit movies. Yeah. Probably came later. There you go. Oh, he definitely came later. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) What does that mean? I don't even know what that means. I don't either. I don't even want to go there. That's it. I'm sure that he was I mean, in some of the all, other movies. All I know is I'm, I'm bringing up some classic movies, Cannonball Run, and you go straight to porno. Now you're talking about no, Jim Neighbors coming later. No, I didn't go to porno. Porno later. was in the I movie. I, I know, but you brought it up. Well, that wasn't part of the... And you're the one who said That's not in the description. When you go no, and listen no, to Cannonball Run, it doesn't say, hey, Jackie Chan or whoever it is, or some Japanese guys are, are looking at porno. I just remember because they were driving off the <laughs> off the road because they were watching the so, porno hey, instead of the road. You, you don't have to apologize for whatever trick your trigger. Okay? I, I'm, I'm not apologizing <laughs> whatsoever. I'm merely stating my case. And as far as the other thing, you said, didn't he come later? <laughs> so don't bring it all on me. Sorry. Mr. Instigator, and then you're back. Oh, I didn't do anything. He came later. C-A-M-E. Yeah, like he, he appeared. And he, that's he all I said. At. I said, yeah, he definitely came later. Yeah. There it is. That's terrible. <laughs> well, whatever your mind I don't reads know what, it into, uh, I don't wow. know where you're going. Look, look how he's slipping it. He's slipping it, as Fenster said in Usual's Husband. Oh, so you mean, I'm do, you mean I'm spin doctoring it like you were trying to spin doctor it to me? Not at all. I, I, I was 100%. Totally, I was totally innocent. No, no. Hey, speaking of doctor, what are you playing now? I like that. Top five things. you want. I feel like I'm on a game show here. I, I got this card in, in the mail. I thought I'd share it with you since, you know, we're talking about, you know, doctors. And you said, you know. Spin doctor, and I'm kind of a doctor because I, I play one here, and I did stay at Holiday Inn Express last night. And, and you have doctors all over the I, show. I do, absolutely. It's big. Uh, top five things you don't want to hear your doctor say. Number five, I can do this with my eyes closed. Number four, oops. Number three, I'm not really a doctor, but I've played one on TV. That's pretty much what I just said. Number two, you didn't really need that anyway. And the number one thing you don't want to hear your doctor say is, this is going to hurt you a lot more than it'll hurt me. I got no response out of you. Did, did you get that from the 99 cent store or something? I, I didn't get it. I got it delivered to me. And it's a Hallmark card. That's a Hallmark card? Yeah, it doesn't say the price on it. It says Hallmark, uh, yeah, Hallmark right here. Wow. I, I think I know my next career now. I'm just yeah. going to start writing cards if that's the best they can do with a Hallmark these days. You didn't like that card? That was lame. That was funny. Nunchuck? Thumbs up, thumbs down? He's that in the middle. That was not funny. Yeah. Every one of those were so lame and that's so That's like a disqualification. So that's, a, that's a double answer, right? Yeah. You know? I'm thinking there's going to be like, oh, where do I do? Where's my watch or something? Like, they left that in the body. I mean, it's like, those were all just really, really weak. Wow. So you're mad at the person who wrote this card. I'm saying that if that's what Hallmark's come down to now, I'm glad that I don't spend the outrageous money that it costs to buy cards for everybody. That was, that was cute. Nice little, you know, nice little gesture. People taking the time and sending a card, mailing a card. Did they send it to you? 
Are you sick? Is somebody telling you about seeing a doctor? Well, I'm a doctor. That's why they did that, I think. I don't know. And you found that amusing? That made your day? Yeah, kind of like that. I brought, I brought it in with me. It was good, right? Wow. Actually, I brought this I'm, in I'm, about I'm, over a week ago. I'm, and I was digging through my briefcase. Oh, I forgot about this. There it is. Channeling my big seven-footer right now. And there wow. you go. <laughs> Just and you <laughs> said spin doctor, so I thought I'd bring that up. You want to get on some sports anytime soon? I'd like to move someplace yeah. off of this because this is it, it's not only slowed down or in reverse right now. <laughs> I swear he brought this up. He brought something up about uh, oh no 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 smoking no. the bandit movies, uh, watching TV this weekend. I don't know. No, where you it brought up Captain Chaos. That's where Captain it all started. That's where it all started. That's where it all started yeah. because then it was you Don like Chaos, yeah. and yeah. then it was and Do then we need it went to, re- to the Burt Reynolds and everything else. We don't need to rewind. It's okay. You said you don't. I'm. Sh- you said you don't know where it came from. Now I'm telling you who brought it up and where it started. There it is. You know where it started. I, I was trying to be the good friend and say, "Hey, how was your weekend? You have a good weekend." And there it was. Well, I'm watching uh, UFC. This and, and then that. it spiraled out of control as usual. Bring it back. All right, Dodgers and Padres. If you haven't been watching this series, you've been missing something. And this series has. All of the makings where people are talking about, hey, this is Yankees-Red Sox. And you can actually make that case because what the Padres did in the offseason with getting free agents, getting you Darvish, and of course, you know, Manny Machado, and then what Fernando Tatis Jr. is doing is, is amazing. Especially what he's doing to the Dodgers. That's true. <laughs> I mean, he has seven homers, and five of them came in the last three days. Hit two on Friday, two on Saturday, and one on Sunday. It was amazing. But this was, there was another classic game last night. And every one of these games has been almost like an instant classic. Uh, this series has been phenomenal. They played seven games in the last ten days. You usually don't see a lot of that. But, uh, you know, San Diego, L.A., a lot has been made about the Dodgers have owned the Padres really for decades. But the Padres, you know, they have this attitude, and a lot of it is because of Tatis and Machado, and, uh, you know, very cocky. It's really spread throughout this team, this this dugout. And uh, there is rivalry in Southern California between these two teams, and it's really now – catching fire throughout Major League Baseball, and people are, are, are watching these two teams go out of here. The Dodgers still in first place, and San Diego you know, right behind them. But they played seven times. The Padres have won four out of seven. And these games, especially this weekend, have felt like playoff games, and this is only April. So we mentioned uh, Fernando Tatis homered again last night. And you know what he did... On Friday, you know, hitting the, the the two homers on the day where his father hit what two grand slams in the same inning at Dodger Stadium. How ironic is that? Where Tatis go and hits two homers on the exact same day. I, it was crazy. Um, you know, if you look at the calendar there. So last night was one of those games for the ages. So. Joe Musgrove, and we talked about him just a couple weeks ago, he threw a no-hitter for the Padres. Uh, he was facing off against Dustin May. I mean, both fireballers for, for these respective teams. This game was 2-1 until Jace Tingler, the manager of the Padres, decided he would start mismanaging this game. And there was plenty of mismanagement with both him and Dave Roberts in this game. He took Musgrove out of the game after three innings. Musgrove had 77 pitches. But he was, they were down 2-1, to one, made some big-time pitches, and all of a sudden, let's start going to the bullpen. And you know what's going to happen when you start going to the bullpen. Then the Dodgers got five runs, and okay, this game's over. And I turned it off. I said, this is making me sick. It's 7-1. to one. But something just said to me, the way this series has been going, eh, maybe I better check back in. And sure enough, I checked back in in the seventh inning, and all of a sudden now it's 7-2. to two. It's 7-3. to three. And and I turned it on when it was seven to five, and they had runners on base. Uh, they had runners at first and third with two outs. And I was like, "Wow, this okay? I, I better hang with this for the, for the rest of the way." So the Padres were chipping away, and they got two in the seventh, two in the eighth, uh, two in the ninth. And like I said, so to back it up a little bit, they cut the lead to seven to six. And uh, Manny Machado came to the plate. And let's give you some highlights here. Here's Machado tying run 90 feet away with one gone. And Manny sends a base hit back up the middle. 
about Tony Gwynn every single one of these at bats have been a Tony Gwynn at bat not trying to do too much okay so uh that is Alex Rodriguez Matt Vaskurgeon on the uh, ESPN game of the week uh, last night just a, an amazing game so Machado uh you know ties it up and then uh, Hosmer came to the dish uh, in, in the next inning with the Padres uh, having runners on again, and they, they like to call these guys the go-go Padres because they are stealing more bases, which I love, by the way. I love the aggressiveness, and uh, they stole five more bases uh, in this game, and uh, Hosmer with a chance to give the Padres the lead after trailing 7-1, to a chance to lead. Jake Cronenworth on deck behind Hosmer. Come after him, and Hosmer swings and sends a drive to center field. Peters is back on it, measuring it off. Tatis will score easily, and it's 8-7 San Diego. I don't know if you got a chance to watch much of this game, but this uh, was phenomenal last night. And, you know, Major League Baseball wants to, you know, scream and cry and fans say, hey, these games are taking too long. But in games like this, where you use every player that you have and you have a comeback like this, this was must-see baseball. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's well, you don't have to look any farther to know that they use every player they had when you see Clayton Kershaw coming up and pinch hitting. <laughs> right, right, right. So, so, yeah, obviously, I mean, I, I was kind of Sano surfing back around forth a little bit. I saw some of it. I certainly saw the highlights from it. So, you know, I mean, it, it, it was a great series. I think they're the two best teams in the National League. We talked about that before the season started. I know technically right now the Giants are actually in second place in that division, but part of that's because the Padres and Dodgers have played each other, like you mentioned, seven times there. So almost 500. The Padres actually have the little bit of lead there. But, yeah, I mean, I expect these two teams to battle it out for a long time. I'm curious to see if San Fran can be in there. And I also like the fact that um, you mentioned how the Padres have that that arrogance about him, that cockiness, that that you know, that 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 strut when they're walking, swag, that huh? kind of yep. stuff. Yeah. But I like how uh, you know one of the Dodger players came out on a picture and said, "Hey, I like it." You know, you hit a home run, celebrate it or whatever. I'm not going to throw at you or something like that for doing it. My job is to get you out. So it kind of shows that too because I'm trying to picture pitchers from when we were kids that would be okay with somebody showboating and that kind of stuff. And I can't think of any of them that would be okay for it. And now you have a Dodger pitcher coming out and saying, hey, it's all good. Go ahead and do it. Yeah, well, Juan Marichal comes comes to mind there. He's a little bit of a showboat. Bob Gibson was was a showboat as well. Those well, no, guys no, no, were. No, but, but I know we're saying no, if, no, some, I, if a hitter, you yeah, know, I fires mean, pitchers back at that, that are yeah. saying it's okay for hitters to yeah. do it. You know, Marichal would do for taking bat over somebody's head. Well, yeah, well, yeah, <laughs> she did. With, with Roseboro right. and the Mad Hungarian would do his thing behind the mound, getting right. ready. Al right. Herbowski, right. you know, and certainly Mark the Bird Fitrich was a uh, Fitrich was crazy on the mound or whatever. Louis but, Tion, but yeah. for pitchers, it was okay to do. But if a batter, if a batter showed you up when he hit a home run, you might not even get thrown at the next mm-hmm. time. The guy behind you in the on deck circle was getting one in his mm-hmm. ear. Now and you, you have, rarely saw that. Yeah, back n- the, yeah. yeah. Now you yeah. have pitchers yeah. saying, "Hey, you know what? If they hit a home run, they should celebrate. Mm-hmm. It's a hard thing to do." Mm-hmm. So you mentioned Clayton Kershaw pinching. Both managers, like I said, mismanaged uh, their benches last night in this game. The Padres had to have like uh, a rookie reliever have to come in and, and pinch it with with basically the go-ahead run at third base, and he couldn't deliver. And Tingler was going, okay, well, who should I have pinch hit here? And he, so Pagan, their relief pitcher, was in the game at the time, and, and his spot was coming up because they used everybody else. And Tommy Pham, a guy who we've talked about before, a Las Vegan and He's been in some strip clubs uh, there in San Diego. A little bit of an incident in the offseason. Yeah, exactly. So he had a little bit of an incident in his first at bat last night when he grounded out weekly and he was getting out of the box and, okay, something's wrong with him. And you know, so he was in the game filling in for Will Myers because Will Myers was getting an off night. And then so Pham had to go to the be- bench. Then they had to bring in you know, someone to play right field. Uh, you know, again, so, I mean, their bench got thin, you know, real quick. Luckily... For Tingler, the one thing he did do is he held his closer back, uh, you know, Melanson, and he got to save him until the 11th inning. But I just kind of knew that this game was going to go this way because Jansen pitched two nights, uh, rather two innings um, the night before. So, you know, you know how uh, managers are. Your closer goes more than one inning. Forget about it. He's out. 
And Blake Trinan, their setup guy, did two innings, so he wasn't going to pitch. So it was going to be interesting on the Dodgers side. But both managers, again, they didn't have anybody left uh, to hit. So then same thing happened with Kershaw because uh, Dodgers didn't have any other position players to come and hit. And so Tingler walked the bases loaded to get to to the pitcher spot. And Roberts goes, Kershaw, you're up. And then Kershaw strikes out. Although Kershaw, yeah. the, he had pinch hit six times before oh, yeah, his no, career. I was so worried. he does pinch yeah. hit. I thought but, he might come through. But he's he get never in. gotten a hit as a pinch hitter yet. Right. That and, and, and that streak continues yeah. that way. And yeah. again, I mean, it's, although it's certainly very unusual in today's game, you know, it has. A, I, I remember the Cubs. Rick Sutcliffe used to routinely pinch hit. There were there were some yeah. pitchers that were really good hitting pitchers. Yeah. And Kershaw's not a bad hitting pitcher. It hasn't worked out as in the pinch hitting role up to this point. So the Dodgers had runners on in the tenth and the eleventh. Had an opportunity, and in the tenth, they had the bases loaded. And you again had a, a young rookie pitcher for the Padres who was all over the place. And on a 3-2 pitch with the bases loaded, he threw in at the guy's chin, and, and the guy struck out. And, and the guy who was, who was batting for the Dodgers at that point in time, again, had to get thrown in. He was a rookie. I think he was playing only a second game. His first game was the night before, and I believe uh, he was 0-4 for 4 with th- three strikeouts. All he had to do was take a couple pitches, and he was swinging at chin music. Then we go to the 11th. He'd ahead of the game-winning RBI. Yeah, exactly. If, if he yeah. doesn't swing by being yeah. over-aggressive, yeah. he cost himself the walk-off walk. Absolutely, absolutely correct. Which drives yeah. me crazy when and, they say that, but that's what they – And at. so many of these games that I was watching this weekend, teams would win games or, or get these game-winning runs without a hit. In these games, whether it was errors or walks, it was crazy. But again, so the 11th came, uh, and, and you heard Hosmer gave them the uh, gave the Padres the lead. Dodgers had their opportunity, bases loaded, and then Melanson comes in and shuts the door. Franks is hitting with runners in scoring position, has been for a while, and there's a bouncer back over the middle, and San Diego hangs on, entering the seventh, down seven to one. The fighting Friar battles for two in the seventh, two in the eighth, two in the ninth to tie, and the game-winning run scores in the top of the 11th. The Padres take three out of four against the Dodgers in a season series that just keeps getting better and better with each installment. All right, great for Major League Baseball. Number one, we have fans back. We have rivalries that are that are coming back. And in games like this in April, when you have seven of these type of games, very good for baseball. Yeah, I, I think it's good for baseball as well. The only thing that I was a little bit disappointed in that call there on that last out, because if memory serves me, unless I'm thinking of a different inning, that was actually a pretty high throw to first, and he had to jump up in the air and kind of stay on the base. He made it sound very routine, like it was no problem whatsoever. I, no, I, I was that. Was I that think a, that a was the one before? Machado just t- uh, touched second. Okay, I think or, or uh, Tatis just okay. touched second on that one. Because I remember one yes. of the highlights in the game yes. where they were like, he, he damn near threw the that ball was away the and ni- almost accost him. That was in the ninth. I believe. Okay, yeah. That was, okay, yeah. And then what I've referred to happened in the tenth. When the rookie was up with the bases loaded, yeah. it's like, oh, my. I mean, just it was craziness. Yeah, craziness. So, yeah, good for uh, Major League Baseball. Can't have thing. a game like that in the American League. Nope, can't. Because p- pitcher's yep. not going to be having a hit. You right. don't have to, you're not going to walk the bases to get to that spot in the lineup. You're right. Absolutely correct with that. So, yeah, great stuff. And uh, we got plenty of baseball to talk about during the course of this week as well, too. And I'll, uh, I'll, say save, I'll save some of this for Terrible Tuesday tomorrow because, you know, we did have a doubleheader yesterday. I don't know if you're aware of that. You know, the seven-inning variety doubleheader? Yes, yes, I was Yes, aware of the no-no. Yeah, the no-no, but it's not a no-no because... Not officially. Madison Bumgarner only pitched seven innings. Although the team says it is. Yeah, right. Yeah, so... <laughs> Unbelievable. I mean, Would we, be in women's softball. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, that'd be, a, that'd be an official game yeah, then, That's too. what I'm saying. It's yeah. an official game. Uh, the only way that it's a no-no is if it goes to extra 0-0 and you go to 9 yeah. and you get through 9. And we're talking about the Diamondbacks played the Braves yesterday in a doubleheader, and the Braves got one hit in 14 innings. That one hit came in the first game of the doubleheader, and the second game, Madison Bumgarner threw a no-hitter through 7, but eh, nice job. You got the win. Got the shutout, but uh, nah, you're not getting a no-hitter because the game is seven innings, and this is what they're doing with double-headers, playing only seven innings. 
I'll save most of that for tomorrow. That's just a little teaser, but seven inning doubleheaders. And that's the way it's going to be. When there are doubleheaders, that's what we're going to see the rest of the season. I know. I know. I know. Braves had a little bit of power outage down there in Atlanta right (laughs) now. Yeah. And so (laughs) when are the Braves going to get it together? I mean, this is not the same Braves team we're accustomed to. And there were high hopes for the Braves this year. But uh, they couldn't get the bats going against the Diamondbacks. You know who the Braves play starting tonight? Cubs. Yeah, they play the Cubs. So maybe they got a shot to get their bats going. I don't know. They're going to face Kyle Hendricks. We shall see. Maybe they need yeah. to change their name. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's exactly what they need. Jeez. All right. UFC 261. We have a lot to dive into that about, uh, like Frank said, very entertaining card, but a very brutal card as well, too. Uh, if you watched it, you know what we're talking about. If you saw the highlights, uh, you know what we're talking about. If you didn't see it or hear about it, uh, well, hang with us. Matthew Holt and Heidi Fang are going to be joining us. We will uh, be breaking that down for you, and I don't mean it like that, but uh, that is a pun that I did not mean to use. But, uh, yeah, very, very brutal card, and uh, we will play some audio uh, from that card on Saturday night. But uh, very, very exciting night uh, in the Octagon. And fans uh, back in the arena in Florida. Yeah, uh, fans back in the arena in Florida. And Dana White, very unhappy with a local reporter. Mm. All right, we'll get to all that more. Matt Holt will join us. Ballpark, T.C. Martin with you on this Manic Monday. I do exactly what I want to do. It's It's the the Dr. T.C. Martin. You say I'm insane? I say thank you very much. The doctor is now in. All right, on this Monday, recapping a wild sports weekend, we talk Dodgers, Padres. Now we move over to what took place in Florida, UFC 261. Very entertaining card, but uh, had a brutal side of it as well, too. Uh, Matthew Holt uh, joins us uh, as we talk a little UFC. Matt, what's going on, my man? Geez, what a card this past Saturday. I mean, that thing had it all. It had the grotesque, it had the crazy, it had the never-before-seen, it had some unbelievable knockouts. Man, I'm still look, I'm still excited, and it's two days later. I know. All right, so let's recap all of this for all of our listeners here. UFC 261, where Kamaru Usman defeated uh, Jorge uh, Masvidal, uh, second-round knockout. That was the main event. Uh, nice, nice card. Nice, uh, rather nice main event, but really one-sided. Huge right hand followed up by some hammer fists, and and it was all over. Usman uh, defeats Masvidal once again, but really where the I think the attention went here was the fight with Uriah Hall with Chris Weidman. This this fight was basically a pick'em. It lasted only 17 seconds, and actually the first kick was the last kick. And a brutal one delivered by Chris Weidman injuring himself in one of the strangest endings to a UFC card ever. What's really interesting is that's the second time we've seen that in the UFC. And if you remember the first time we saw it was Anderson Silva versus Chris Weidman too. Uh, Although in that fight, it was Anderson Silva who threw a leg kick and and saw his leg wrap around that of Chris Weidman. At that time, the most grotesque thing I think most people had ever seen in combat sports. And isn't it crazy that now it happens to Chris Weidman uh, again, this time to Weidman himself. Look, a harmless little start-the-fight leg kick. And literally what made this one double worse is the Andersons is he brought his leg back and then went to step on it, not knowing it was broken, and it bent over again. Just a really ugly scene. You know, people had to immediately rush into the octagon, put it in an air cast. Um, I mean, one of those compression casts. It was just such an ugly scene. He had to be stretchered off. And um, at 36 years old at this point, I think it's fair to say that Chris Weidman's um, you know, time fighting and big time fights is probably over. My guess is I wouldn't be surprised if we saw Weidman make one comeback fight in probably, you know, 18 to 24 months, but then he'll be 38 years old. He was probably already on the wrong side of the mountain. Um, you know, this this basically is a career ender for Chris Weidman and tragically sad. 
All right, uh, we're going to replay from the opening bell. Like we said, this only lasted 17 seconds. This was Saturday night. Uh, Uriah Hall, Chris Weidman getting ready to face off against each other. Chris Weidman. Ready, ready, ready. And Uriah Hall. Blue trunks for Weidman, black trunks for Uriah Hall. On Monday, Hall was the favorite. He closes a slight plus 105 betting underdog per DraftKings Sportsbook. Just oh awful. My oh, oh my God. Oh no! The first kick he threw. Did you see? I did. I did. Wow. First kick, the only kick. Uh, brutal ending. And anyone that was watching this just, just had to be cringing. I know you probably were, Frank. Yeah, you know, it, it's funny, Matt, because I was watching that fight, and it happened so fast, I almost wasn't even sure what happened. Then I'm waiting for the replay and waiting and waiting, and I think they were trying to decide if they even wanted to show it. Then they gave the disclaimer beforehand, if you didn't really see this, this is very grotesque, and you might want to turn away or something like that. And then you see it, and it wasn't one of those things that they showed like five or ten times or something. They basically showed it the one time, but when you saw it on the replay and you saw the extent of the damage and that I actually felt bad for Uriah Hall because you could tell that he was almost devastated by it. I've never seen a guy win a fight like that and not celebrate whatsoever. You could tell that he was concerned, but um, as soon as Wyden went down and you saw that kick, it was it was completely over. A, a little bit different than the Anderson Silva fight because, again, I thought Weidman kind of, you know, checked that kick a little bit, and that's why Silva maybe broke it, you know, and Weidman did celebrate the victory, not that he doesn't have the right to do that, but Hall didn't even celebrate. He was just concerned for Chris Weidman's well-being. Oh, absolutely was. You're right, Frank. He turned right around, went to his knees, uh, allowed the doctors and the referee to come in, get that compression cast on it. Um, and what else was also different than Anderson's, to your point, Anderson's went shin to shin because Chris Weidman kind of checked it. Uriah Hall didn't check this kick, and it landed where it's supposed to, yep. on the back of the calf, yet it's still the bone, the bone broke right in half, and you could see the leg wrap around. Oh, just such a tough scene to watch. All right, so let's uh... – take you to the press conference afterwards and hear Uriah Hall, like you guys said, he wasn't celebrating whatsoever. He knew exactly what had happened. Uh, here's Uriah Hall after the match. Honestly, there's not much to say. It's just it sucks. On both of our parts, the preparation leading up to this, the only thing I can do is just wish him well. You know, I have respect for him. Um, I know we're both from the same state, and I uh, felt like the media was trying to build something up, but I think we both really had respect for each other because we played a part in molding each other to uh, bring us to where we are right now. And, you know, like I said out there, I wish him recovery, and, um, you know, I owe him a fight. And it's nothing bad, it's just the respect. So I hope he's okay right now. It's very unfortunate, and uh, just wish him and his family well. Yeah, no joy there uh, for a guy that uh, never threw a punch, never threw a kick, got himself a victory, and yeah, it does he got the victory? But definitely, he probably it, it's tainted. There's no question, and just feels sick. You feel bad because again, this is a, a competitor, like you guys mentioned. This had happened to him, you know, before. You know, going back to uh, 2013, here's more about Uriah Hall talking about actually what he saw as it transpired. Um, in the past, I've actually broken a teammate's leg by checking it. I, I'm very articulate with blocking, and you don't have to pick your leg up too high. It's just driving it in at the right spot. And uh, I heard a click. I thought it was a slap, but... I didn't feel the slap on my calf, so I was like, that's got to be his bone. And when he landed, it clicked in. To be honest, it was just like the Anderson Silva when he landed. It was weird. It was so weird. I just pictured Anderson Silva when he broke his leg. I just, you know, wish him well. 
Do you... And, and, you know, and it's kind of like you had mentioned, Matt, and we were talking about a little before. That's what uh, surprised me was the fact that it wasn't checked or something. It didn't hit like it wasn't a bone-on-bone. It hit exactly where Chris Weidman aimed the kick, and you don't ne- you don't usually, in fact, I don't know about you, but I've never seen that kind of damage done from a kick that landed where it was supposed to before. So you have to wonder if maybe there was a fracture or something that they didn't know about, if there was something wrong or whatever, or if it was just everything aligned in the right way. But as soon as that went, I mean, he went down like a ton of bricks. You knew the fight was over. You do definitely feel for both fighters. You know, I don't know if Chris Weidman gets back in the cage. I know Uriah Hall said I owe him a fight. We'll see if that transpires. And I'm also curious to see how, who Uriah Hall fights next and how he comes out in it. Because we know that sometimes, even when something like that happens, even if you're the guy that got the victory, it can still mess you up mentally or something like that. I mean, it's a whole different thing. And then for him to say that he did that once in practice to a teammate as well, you know, that, that's that got to be in the back of your mind, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And, and I don't know where Uriah Hall goes. Let's face it, Uriah Hall, who entered this fight 16-9, and nine, um, has never exactly been threatening the title scene. He's a guy who every once in a while gets unbelievably spectacular knockouts because of his ability to do, um, you know, aerial spinning, kung fu kicks and strikes. But overall, when he doesn't land that once in a, you know, blue moon type of crazy strike, he tends to lose fights. Uh, There's probably some fights for him on the fringe uh, of the kind of the top 15 of the of the middleweight rankings, but I'm just, you know, I don't know that there's any big fight. So he's ranked number nine right now. Look, I guess maybe, uh, you know, Jack Hermanson, Darren Till, Derek Brunson, there's probably some guys that make sense for him, but historically Uriah Hall has struggled with all those guys. And now at 36 years old, even for Hall, I'm not sure where he goes. Um, I think a big win here would have catapulted him to, hey, maybe if this guy gets one more big win, we could be looking at um, some type of title opportunity, but in this case, the way he wanted, he's probably going to have to win two more fights in a row now. You know, Chris Weidman is in the hospital. He had surgery on Sunday night. He seemed in good spirits. He was on social media delivering delivering a message, and uh, he is going to be okay. Whether he comes back or not, I think that that's probably debatable. But I want to go back to you know something you you brought up, Frank, about in both you guys saying, "Hey, this is you know is kind of a surprise, shocking, seeing something like happen." Why is this, um, you know? Why doesn't this happen more often? Because I, you say this is kind of surprising with the leg kicks. This is a very vicious sport. Anytime that you are involving these type of leg kicks to another person's you know, leg and, and bone area, this and that, to me, I mean, every and again, I'm not the big UFC guy. I'm more of the boxing guy, and I admit that. But just, you know, I cringe a lot of times when I will hear these type of leg kicks and thinking, wow, I mean, that's got to hurt or that leg could snap here. And I don't know, why is this not more surprising? Well, to, to me it's not because these guys train like that. You strengthen that leg by doing these kicks. I know that, you know, a lot of people watch Still them. bone, though. I, I understand that. You know, like in Bloodsport, and, and I know that was a movie where they show Jean-Claude Van Damme kicking the tree to strengthen the leg and that, and you have the bruises and the welts and that. But I do know guys like Nick Onekick, who's a local guy here, who's trained a lot of fires. In fact, uh, trained Chuck Liddell before he became the big UFC star in that. They bring a lot of these guys in, and you start out kicking the bag. Then you start kicking a little bit, you know, tougher surfaces. And that you you literally build up the leg, and that to take that kind of pounding to deliver the blow, but also to absorb the blow. And you see that a lot. And I think that's why it doesn't happen. This was a freak accident that that when Weidman threw the kick, it broke. I mean, you look at some fights. I mean, there's guys that end fights with just nothing but leg kicks. I remember when, wasn't it Jose Aldo, when he when he uh, beat up Uriah Faber, a good friend of yours from the you know Sacramento Sports Hall of Fame, and that he just kicked him and kicked him and kicked him to death. There's guys that end fights with kicks because their legs are that strong and that powerful. But it's over time that you build up that kind of endurance and that strength in the leg. That's why it's shocking. If it gets checked and it's bone on bone, it can happen. But to see it actually hit flush where you aimed it to be and that and it still broke, that's just the freak part of this. Matt, uh, your thoughts on that? I, I'm a little bit nervous because leg kicks have become a lot more prevalent 
in MMA than ever. What we're seeing is people understand it's sort of like a body punch in boxing, right? Uh, you know, you have to go out there and somehow slow your opponent down, you know, especially guys that are really fast. What do you do to a really fast guy? You know, in boxing, you try to go work the body to slow him down a little bit. In MMA, they're kicking the legs now, kicking the legs. We saw it in McGregor Poirier. The biggest factor in round one of that fight was the leg kicks that Poirier landed. And that has really become sort of the body punch of MMA. The problem is um, not everyone knows how to throw them precisely. Not everyone knows how to check them precisely. And they are learning how to check them better, which could have means there's going to be more bone-on-bone collisions. Now, this one, to Frank's point, was not bone-on-bone, but the more bone-on-bone collisions we have with as hard as these guys kicked, we have to assume that this isn't the last time we're going to see this. Um, And it is, but I will say this, that we've now seen it twice. We don't really know what the fallout will be from the Chris Weidman one. But it certainly didn't hurt the UFC when it happened to Anderson Silva. And Anderson Silva at the time was one of its biggest stars. And you're like, oh, my gosh, one of their biggest stars is going to be out for a long time. But if you go back and look at the archives of the most downloaded or watched videos on UFC.tv, it's Anderson Silva versus Chris Weidman, too. So, I mean, people, look, it's a violent game. Combat sports is a violent sport. It is supposed to be violent. And for people who enjoy the the violent side of it, when they go back, you know, they tend to want to see these things. It's one of those, it's like a car wreck, right? Do you want to see the car wreck on the side of the road? But everyone slows down and turns their head. I bet you a lot of people are going to uh, download this video and watch to see just what happened to Chris Weidman's leg. Yeah, since we are referencing that Anderson Silva Chris Weidman match back in uh, 2013, uh, let's uh, let's let's play that uh, portion back here. There's a good shot to the body. Oh, nice! He oh no! He hurt, his, he hurt his leg, and it is it's all it. over. He broke his leg. Anderson fractured his leg. You can see his leg hanging loose now. Wow! He broke his leg. Unbelievable! What a crazy ending! It went limp. It snapped right in half. Watch this. He checks it. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. Wow. That's about as obvious as it gets. And uh, like you said, Frank, that was a little bit different. He, he checked it. But, again, yeah, how bizarre is this? As you mentioned in the beginning, man, I mean, Chris Weidman involved. Uh, he was on the other side of this one. Again, where, you know, he, 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 he was the victor uh, December 28th, uh, 2013. Yeah, and you know, it's interesting too, Matt, because I'm sure, although it hasn't necessarily happened in UFC, I know I've seen other fight organizations in that where you see the guy delivering the kick that breaks the opponent's leg as well right. when you hit him just flush like that. Maybe a guy who hasn't trained right, like you mentioned, that doesn't know how to block it or doesn't know exactly how to absorb it in that. So it is a very dangerous thing. And, and remember, we're talking about this being a very dangerous sport in the UFC after they've done all these things to make it safer and that kind of stuff. Because remember over in Pride in that when they allowed the soccer kick to the heads and kicking down opponents and things like that. So, I mean, you know, but when you have this type of a combat sport, unfortunately, once in a while, things like this are going to happen. And you're right. It seems like more and more people are going to the leg kick over and over because it is such a focal point And you can do a lot of damage. You can literally win fights and potentially championships with leg kicks if you're that skilled at it and your opponent doesn't know how to stop it. And for as many issues we see with leg issues and broken legs and in MMA, what we don't ever see is deaths. You know, boxing is the sport that tends to have all the deaths. You know, they, they act like they put all these safety protocols in place, but with those big giant gloves, what happens is people don't go down anymore because you're using these 12, 14, 16-ounce giant pillows, but their brain gets jarred a thousand times over a fight. Whereas in the UFC, you go down and someone hammer fists you, the fight's over. We don't see the deaths, but what we are seeing is these grotesque leg injuries lately and... Uh, be interesting to see if at some point, you know, if the UFC does anything to combat, maybe shin pads in front or, or something to combat it, um, or if it even, you know, look, it's only happened twice here in the UFC. Both fights involved Chris Weidman, so 
it's hard to really say whether or not this is a problem or just two crazy incidences that have taken place over 30 years, both involving the same guy. Matthew Holt joins us, U.S. Integrity, talking at UFC 261 Saturday night. Okay, Matt, real quick, uh, Usman wins the main event over Masvidal. What uh, did you think about that, and is this the end of Masvidal? Probably the end of Masvidal. Look, at 36 years old, I mean, he had 14 losses before. You know, Jorge Masvidal has been around so long that you can go back. If you go watch the old Kimbo Slice videos of him fighting in the backyard, who's fighting on the undercard in the backyard? It's Jorge Masvidal. That's how long this guy's been doing this. I don't think he was ever one of the very, very best in the world. I always thought he was just a really good fighter who was pretty tough. You know, he had never been not, you know, he hadn't been knocked out since 2008 prior to Saturday night. But at 36 years old, and part of the problem for Jorge Masvidal is he caught lightning in a bottle between late 2017 through 2019 with his fights with Nate Diaz, the famous flying knee against Ben Askren. And a guy who had never really made a big payday suddenly made some big paydays. Uh, And he was able to cash in. He just made two monstrous paydays versus Kamara Usman. He's almost 37 years old. I certainly think he's got a few more fights left in him, but his time at the top is well over. For Kamaro Usman, now we're looking at a guy over 20 wins in a row, a dominant champion, the most dominant welterweight champion we've seen since George St. Pierre. But the good news for the UFC, because that was a picture-perfect right hand, and he is now off back-to-back devastating KO wins uh, in this huge win streak for Kamaro Usman. Is you have Colby Covington, who is unbelievable on the mic. He's twice as good on the mic as he is in the octagon. That would make a, you know that would sell plenty of pay-per-views. The first time these two fought, it was a war. Covington ended up with a broken jaw late, which caused the fight to get stopped. And in three weeks, you have Leon Edwards versus Nate Diaz. And we know that while Nate Diaz never wins fights, beating Nate Diaz, like Jorge Masvidal did, tends to be a springboard to bigger fights and title fights. And Leon Edwards is a guy for a long time who's been on a massive winning streak that people said should get a title fight, but he hasn't really uh, been known enough to the mainstream audience for the UFC to ever want to give him that shot. If he beats up Nate Diaz, well, now everyone will know who he is, especially since it's a pay-per-view card. He's fighting, I think, the co-main of, um, on that pay-per-view card is Diaz versus Edwards. So, look, lots of options for the UFC with Kamaru Usman all of a sudden. And this guy has truly become a superstar. He was a dominant champion who didn't always finish, which we know in boxing and in MMA that can be sort of a recipe for you know, the fans not, not becoming a superstar. But now he's starting to become a finishing machine who doesn't just get KOs, but gets them in unbelievably spectacular fashion. Kamaru Usman is officially a star. All right, we'll hit more with this uh, next hour as well, too, and Heidi Fang joins us. Matt, let's uh, switch gears real quickly here and talk about the NFL draft coming up on Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. And we know at the window the NFL draft props have become very, very popular. We know the season win totals, people are really starting to look at that at this point in time now. But any draft props that you think that we should uh, be looking at here and maybe making some money at? You know, I think the most interesting draft prop that I've been able to hit several times at Plus Money is who will be the number three pick. And everybody in the know, the Adam Schefters, uh, the Mike Lombardis, all the guys that really seem to be in the know just say, oh, it's Mac Jones, it's Mac Jones. They don't even hesitate. Adam Schefter doesn't put out these speculative type of things. When he puts something out, of, most of the time it's gold. So all these guys in the know are saying it's Mac Jones. Yet the pro football focus guys and the guys that do this analytics around college football, they're like, no, Mac Jones isn't good enough. You don't trade up to get Mac Jones. It's got to be Justin Fields. Yet everyone in the know says it's not Justin Fields, that San Fran has no interest in Justin Fields. So what we've seen is betting markets constantly fluctuating with rumors where the, the pro football focus and the analytics guys love Justin Fields. 
And he may or may not be better than Mac Jones, but all the football insiders guys are saying, yeah, they traded up to draft Mac Jones. So we've seen this unbelievable volatility in who will be the number three pick for two straight weeks. The volatility has been on fire. Every time Mac Jones goes back to plus money, I just take a little more Mac Jones. Yeah, and I agree with you. you know, when you look at San Francisco, they want a Joe Montana. They want an Alex Smith type, and that's who Mac Jones is out, out of Alabama. I don't see him going Fields. Uh, I don't think I'm go- see him going Lance. I think they definitely go with Mac Jones. And like you said, from a betting perspective, there might, might be a live dog there, right? Yeah, it's crazy. It's crazy that despite the fact, usually in a draft situation, when the insiders like Adam Schefter and stuff come out and start saying, because he doesn't have a whole bunch of draft picks out there. When he tells you, hey, this team's going to draft this guy, that guy's odds go to, like, minus 2,000. But for whatever reason, the analytics guys in this situation refuse to acknowledge that anyone could take Mac Jones over Justin Fields because their analytics say that Fields is better. And because of that, we're seeing them constantly bet on Justin Fields and continue to drive that market down. And every, you know, I've seen, it's amazing how much it's fluctuated over the last three weeks and it moves every day. We've seen Mac Jones as high as minus 240 or as low as minus 240 and as high as plus 300 and every number in between because every time the, the, the insider people say, well, everyone knows it's Mac Jones and bet it, these analytics guys say it just can't be so and they come back and hammer Justin Fields. I have never seen a two-way market on this, especially on a particular draft pick who's not the number one pick. We're talking about the number three pick in the draft unbelievable you know it's kind of crazy too Matt when you're talking about it because all the talk has been about the quarterback position and it seems like pretty much a given that there's going to be five quarterbacks taken maybe as many as six in the first round but I got to be honest with you I'm always a little bit curious about it or a little bit queasy being a Bears fan I remember Trubisky and a team moving up for him so just because a quarterback is a first round pick doesn't mean he's going to be an NFL success Oh, absolutely. Um, but but I think, you know, what's really interesting, and I think the last two weeks have proved something to us. Last year, people didn't know if it was a fluke because, hey, there's all this betting on the NFL draft, way more than we'd ever seen, and everyone said, well, that's just because there was nothing else to bet on during COVID. Literally, there wasn't last April. But this year, there's lots going on, Major League Baseball, hockey, uh, NBA uh, regular season wrapping down. You have, you know, college bat- baseball, college softball. All these things happening, yet really, and I think this is going to be an annual tradition now, basically since the national championship game of March Madness, it has been nothing but NFL draft talk at the window, on the media, and I think this is going to sort of become a tradition every year where the national championship games, a game ends, and we're on to the NFL draft. Well, they say football is king, so there you have it, my friend. All right, uh, appreciate the time as always. Uh, we'll look forward to talking with you next week, Matt. Uh, be good. And also, uh, again, uh, we got Kentucky Derby uh, this weekend as well, too, so hopefully we can uh, get you some thoughts uh, on that as we'll be at the Cosmopolitan on Friday. All right, thanks, guys. Best of luck. Best of luck this week. Take care. There he is, Matthew Holt, U.S. Integrity. All right, uh, talking a little UFC. We'll uh, do a little bit more of that next hour as well as Heidi Fang will join us from the Las Vegas Review Journal, who covers the UFC, as well as the Raiders. We'll talk NFL draft from the Raiders' perspective as well. All right, Ballpark Frank, T.C. Martin with you. Don't you dare go anywhere. Hour number two, Around the Corner.